Hi, I'm Inika, and I'll be doing the Bible reading today. The first one is from Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 to 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there are great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the second reading is 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, as we come to God's word today, let's pray and ask for his help to not only understand, but to respond rightly. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word given to us, which is living and active. And we do ask now that you might help us as we shift um, from the foundational principles of worship that we've considered the past two weeks to these habits of grace today, that you might enable us to think uh, clearly, particularly about how reading your word is part of our worship of you. And we ask this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Well, back in the 1990s, the Wall Street Journal reported that nearly 1,000 different cookbooks were then published in America each year, many of them glossy, full color, very expensive. But at the same time, fewer and fewer people were actually cooking with increasing numbers eating out in restaurants or ordering takeaway. And the reporter for the journal interviewed one lady in particular, a portfolio manager in New York, who had bought 16 new cookbooks in the last three years and also subscribed to two cooking magazines. But when asked about her use of them, she said, well, the last time she prepared a sit-down meal was nearly four years previously and it didn't turn out. Well, today there are more translations of the Bible, more study aids, devotional books than at any time in the history of the world. Christian publishing is a big business, let alone all that's produced online. And yet for all that, people are reading and studying their Bibles less and less, so say surveys. Now, my aim today is not to make you feel guilty if you are struggling with reading scripture, as guilt never produced worship. Rather, I hope to nurture your resolve, your hunger to read the Bible anew. 
that you might have the fervor of John Wesley, who once wrote, I am a creature of a day, passing through this life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God. God himself has condescended to teach me the way. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. Well, as we shift in our series today to the first of several habits of grace or spiritual disciplines that can assist us in worshiping God, I'm not going to be discussing the doctrine of Scripture. I won't be addressing its inspiration, its transmission, its inerrancy, its authority in all matters of faith and conduct. We have addressed these important issues previously. And for the purpose of this current series, I'm going to assume that you accept that the entirety of Scripture comes from the mouth of God. And so what I want to focus on is how God's Word can help us worship Him. The question that we're going to consider today is this. How can reading the Bible exalt God in my heart and actions? If worship is about a deliberate submission of my whole life to God, whereby I exalt him in my heart and actions, well, then how can reading the Bible do that? And the first answer to that question is, it can exalt God in my heart by reading it out of delight and not duty. So notice again what is recorded in Psalm 19 verses 7 to 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Well, we see the practical impact of God's word here on our lives as it brings God's will to us. Notice that God's word is described with a number of adjectives. It's perfect. It's trustworthy, right, radiant. It's firm and righteous. But notice also what reading God's word produces in us. Refreshment for our souls, wisdom, joy to our hearts, light to our eyes, fear of the Lord which endures forever. I mean, who would not want to pour their attention into such a treasure that can nourish us so comprehensively? Is it any wonder that King David asserts that such a resource is more precious than pure gold? that it is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. If we think about the analogy of gold for a moment, we should grasp the intensity with which we should look into God's word. Gold rushes have always happened, but a current example of gold fever is in Zimbabwe, where for the last few years, groups of men have used picks and shovels to dig up bushy patches of land outside Zimbabwe's second largest city. Usually led by one man carrying a metal detector, they leave open gullies all over the area, digging wherever their metal detectors sense gold, clearing bush, burning grass if they have to. Such is their urgency. But perhaps you find the Bible hard to mine for its nuggets. 
and largely tasteless and bitter in your mouth when you read it. The idea that it is the most precious commodity on the planet, the sweetest delight in the world, may be hard for you to compute. Now that could well be because your approach to reading the Bible is as a duty, as something to tick off and an obligation that you must force yourself to undertake. At the end of last year, I traveled with my family to the United States and, and one of the highlights was going to Yosemite National Park. It was awe-inspiring. It's a World Heritage Site with internationally recognized for its granite cliffs, its waterfalls, its clear streams, its giant sequoia groves, lakes and glaciers. But just imagine that I felt no satisfying wonder when I got there, no response of worship to God. Imagine that I never even walked on any of the paths to explore it, but only got out of the car once to take a solitary photo to prove that I had gone there, you know, to ticket off my bucket list to fulfill some burdensome duty. Well, this is how misguided and empty the reading of God's word would be if it was simply reduced to a duty to tick off, an obligation to fulfill. The self-revelation of God in his word should produce in me a response of delight in him. Now, reading the Bible is not an end in itself or about mere knowledge of where to find things. It must lead me to exalt God in my heart, to the desire to know him more. Our reading of God's word is, is meant to evoke reverence and trust. And if I delight in his character, in who he is, then I will worship God as I read his word. Now, another error that we can make as we read the Bible is to be prone to approach it as a tool or a, or a technique for seeking acceptance with God or, or twisting his arm for something that we long for or controlling his blessing somehow. But you see, the means of grace that we will be considering over these next few weeks, including Bible reading today, are not about us trying to grasp something from a reluctant God. They are means for us to worship God to constantly ready ourselves to exalt him as we saturate, soak ourselves in these wonderful gifts to us. Charles Spurgeon, the famous Baptist pastor and author, said of the famous Reformation pastor, John Bunyan, prick him anywhere and you will find that his blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text. For his soul is so full of the word of God. See, what we need to do is appreciate the gift that we've been given. You might be helped by a daily devotional or journaling while you read or a set rhythm of reading God's word each day in the morning or in the evening. But such aids and processes, as good as they are, won't overcome a heart that is cold to hearing the God of the universe speak to you. And believers are to savor God's word because through it, God reveals himself so that we might truly delight in him and worship him. 
And that brings me to a second answer to our question of how reading the Bible can exalt God in my heart and my actions. This time focusing on the actions. It can exalt God in my actions by moving me from a hearer to a doer. Moving me from a hearer to a doer. Notice what is stated in James chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. We read there, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Well, verse 21 here reminds us that the word which saves us, the gospel, is something that can't be ignored after our conversion. God plants it in his people to make it a permanent guiding force for us. And so the command to accept the word implanted in you is a command to believers to allow God's word centered on the gospel to influence every part of their life. And the word humbly here reminds us that we need to be open and receptive to God's word. We actually have to sit under God's word to submit ourselves to it. We can't think we know better or feel free to ignore it in the areas of our lives where we're being disobedient. Rather than begrudgingly being forced to conform, a Christian is desiring to live God's way. They want to change in his book, You Can Change, Tim Chester says that this is the key issue in throwing off sinful behavior. He says we have to want to change because we have truly understood that God's way brings the most joy and honors him. He states, one of our problems is that we think of holiness as giving up things that we enjoy out of some vague sense of obligation. But I'm convinced, he writes, that holiness is always, always good news. God calls us to the good life. And so in verse 22, James tells us to not simply read the Bible, but to live it out. It's not enough to just know lots about Jesus. We're called to count the cost, take up our cross and to follow him. And so the danger of hearing and not obeying is obvious. I mean, we're surely just hypocrites at that point who, who know all the theory but aren't practicing what we preach. In fact, it's actually worse than that, James says. We can be deceiving ourselves and believe that such a response is okay. At that point, we're self-deluded if we've convinced ourselves that merely listening Merely grasping the truths is an end in itself. The meaning of the word deceive here is to be blinded to the reality of our state. And James provides us with a memorable illustration of how empty 
and unsatisfying such an approach to God's word is, how superficial it is. Looking at yourself in a mirror often became a metaphor in the ancient world for the process of moral self-reflection. And we still use this phrase today with this meaning. And so the mirror serves as a natural parallel to the Bible where we assess our moral life and therefore our worship of God. And the key failure of the one who only hears God's word and fails to act is the forgetting. You know, it's often said that knowledge is power. But in God's economy, knowledge brings responsibility as knowledge must issue in action. You know, I was so conscious of this at the end of my time at Bible college. I was so aware that I was potentially a greater hypocrite than I had ever been because my learning had far outpaced my efforts to put it into practice. Remembering is a big theme in the Bible. To remember God's teaching is to meditate on it so that it makes a lasting impression on your heart and mind. And the person who forgets is the one who just reads or listens superficially. God's word needs to produce action in our lives if our Bible reading is to lead to worship that goes beyond mere lip service. As we think further about the way our Bible reading should exalt God in our actions, notice again what is recorded in 2 Timothy 3. 16 and 17. Here we read, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now notice here that the Bible not only informs us how we're to be saved by faith in Jesus, uh, back in verse 15, but it also then helps us to grow in godliness and service as his followers. And this is the focus of verses 16 and 17, where Paul says the Bible is profitable for teaching, reproof, correcting and training. And importantly, all of that equips us for good works. Now, those four terms in verse 16 form two groups. The first two refer to doctrine or theory, if you like, and the second two refer to behavior or practice. And so the Bible instructs us on true doctrine and also rebukes heretical ideas, and then it corrects improper behavior and also educates us in the right behavior. There is both a positive and a negative, both a training and corrective aspect to our beliefs and our actions. And this is why scripture is so useful, so profitable for us to study, as Paul says. And this training from the reading of the word, which helps us in our growth and godliness, will itself prepare us, equip us for every good work in verse 17. Now, this is not an afterthought tagged on the end by Paul, but the purpose of the training in righteousness that God's word produces. You see, the logic of this whole section is that if scripture comes from God and it's true and that it provides the content of belief and the guidelines for conduct, 
So then we will be enabled to do good works that please God, that are an expression of our worship. And so our changed hearts must lead to actions, to good works. And such good works are an important part of our worship of God. They're part of our offering our bodies as living sacrifices. It's often been said, but other books were given for information, but the Bible was given for our transformation. Now, as we think about all of this, there can be a further blockage in our desire to read the Bible. Not only is it a mirror that shines a light on our sin and need to change, but it calls me to serve others. My Bible reading should only, not only produce a response of worship that pursues growth in personal godliness, but it should produce service. Now, the reason that we find this hard is that it's other-centered. It's costly. You know, it's one thing to adore God's character, to delight in his promises. But it's another thing to heed his instructions, to give my life away in self-sacrificial love. As Michael Reeves and Tim Chester write in their book, Why the Reformation Still Matters, many people today are desperate to hear the voice of God. They become obsessed with personal prophecies, dreams and words of knowledge. And without dismissing these things, which God may grant at times, they desperately seek a direct communication from God. Yet week by week, God is speaking to them directly through his word. The problem can be, they write, that they don't like what they hear through God's word. Perhaps they want a word that allows them to circumvent the call to take up their cross daily in worship. They want a word that justifies their desire for self-fulfillment, their self-worship. But you see, even when God's word is hard for us, we can entrust ourselves to our sacrificial saviour who desires to conform us to his likeness. When we dwell on his cross-bearing love for us, we will heed Christ's call to follow him. And we don't have to respond in our own strength. It's not like I've got to work up some fake desire. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit guides us into the truth and enables us to respond wherever that might lead, whatever change or service that might bring. You see, we will find true joy in a life of worship that responds consistently and wholeheartedly to his perfect word, not simply skim reading it, but meditating on it deeply. And think of the alternative of not reading the Bible regularly, to be set adrift in this fallen world without hearing the voice of God. I mean, to do so would be to let other voices from this world rule, False gospels, which would leave us rudderless as we navigate the fear and discouragement and hopelessness that can often stalk our hearts and stunt our actions. No, we desperately need God's word to feed our souls, to respond rightly to him with lives of worship that delight to exalt him both in our hearts, but also in our hands, our actions. Please, don't leave the precious gold of God's word unearthed or fail to taste its sweetness even for one day.
Let your mind and heart be led and captured by the thrill of God communicating with you so that you might exult in him in all you think and say and do. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful gift that is your word. For in it we have your character revealed to us. We meet you. And Lord, we desire to worship you with all our heart and mind and soul. Help us to hear your voice, to adore you in our hearts and respond to you with our actions. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.